So raise your hand if sometime in this last week you have been thirsty. Anybody? Good job. For those of you who don't have your hands raised, you're either super hydrated or you're lying. Just kidding. Um, I have realized with my kids, as we've been adventuring on these hot days, of when you ask, hey, are you thirsty? Do you have water? Do you have your water bottle? Like that it kind of is contagious. Not as contagious as a yawn, as Cora pointed out to me, but still. And so over the course of this past week especially, and then um, we especially felt this at spring break time when we went to Moab, Utah. And luckily when we were in Moab, it wasn't horribly hot. It was probably about 85-ish. Um, but it was still in the desert and finding water was really scarce. And so your water bottle was like liquid gold and you held on to it. And we found that of course, if you don't drink enough water, you get a headache and you're incredibly drunk, like grumpy the rest of the evening. So Jeff and I learned really soon on to make sure everyone was drinking enough water. But as soon as I would ask my kids when we we're done with a hike or done with a bike ride of like, hey, are you thirsty? And I offered my water bottle, all of a sudden it was like piranhas trying to like, you know, it just triggered this immense thirst of, oh my gosh, I am thirsty. And then fighting over who would get to have my water bottle. Because of course, mom's water is always, you know, super duper refreshing and icy cold. Um, and so they would act as if it was the last drops of water on earth. Thank you, Finley, for letting me share that. And so I asked, like, like this scripture is so loaded in so many different ways. And I was talking with LL even before um, church started of like, oh my gosh, so I, like I could literally spend a year diving into the scripture. Um, and even as Candace was reading, I'm like, oh my gosh, I could have I gone this way. But instead I was, was left with this thought, are you thirsty? Now Jesus never actually said those words to the Samaritan woman while they were chatting at the well, but it implied the question as they were sitting together. Both Jesus and the woman came to the well thirsty. But thirsty for what? And so in John's gospel, this is the only gospel that includes this fascinating account of Jesus revealing his identity to a woman. And it's also interesting the details that John includes to set the stage for the scene in the first few verses. So imagine that you're there, okay? Imagine it's sunny and it's hot, it's probably kind of dusty. Probably what Bellingham, what it felt like last week. So I know you all can imagine this scene. And it says that first Jesus and his disciples were baptizing more people than John the Baptist. Like it's kind of like, okay, the ministry is growing. It's setting the tone. Um, the Pharisees took note of how many that they were baptizing. And Jesus, not really quite ready to make a big stir yet, they decide to relocate to Galilee. Second, on his way there, he goes through Samaria, right by Jacob's well. And Jacob's well has both geographical and historical significance. Wells were a sign of prosperity. Um, you know, like if you have water in a desert, you can feed your livestock, you can, or like water your livestock or your family. Um, like it's almost like the symbol of power, right? Of to have the water in the desert. And it also is a symbol of community. It's where people would gather to fill their jugs of water to bring back to their homes. And also throughout the Bible, um, wells are a place where marital matches were made, of all places, right? 
So Isaac met Rebecca at the well. Jacob met Rachel. So wells have a huge significance, and especially this specific one. Third, John mentions that Jesus was tired from his journey. And I always take note when Jesus is feeling human emotions, right? Like, he is tired, he's been helping lead his disciples, and, um, and it's hot. So the fact that, you know, he was experiencing things that we felt, again, probably in the last, throughout the summer, um, is kind of refreshing in and of itself. Or he might have just been tired knowing what was going to happen, and so he sent his disciples off to uh, go get food so that he could be alone at the well for this conversation. I don't know, I wasn't there, but these are just different things. All right, the fourth thing that John points out is that it's in the sixth hour or noon. High noon in the desert climate, you know, like I think of a Western, like, you know. Um, But it was not the ideal time to be drawing well, like water from a well. If you think of evaporation, the heat of the day, like you do that in the morning or you do that in the evening. And so here is Jesus at this time of day um, and he's alone for now. So this just sets the scene of the encounter that's about to take place. And the audience would have clued into some of these triggers and these details. It would be like saying to a belling hamster of like, imagine it was Sunday afternoon of ski to sea weekend in Fairhaven. Right? Like you all can, can smell the street vendors, you can feel the energy, the, you know, the celebration, all of that. So that's kind of how, these, how this audience is receiving this. So these details could have easily been left out, edited to save space, words, um, especially when every written word is valuable, intentional, it's been scribed, but I feel like that's, it's important to set the, the stage. So that's kind of what's happening, and the scene is unfolding, and now the audience is, what's going to happen next? Is Jesus going to get married? What's going to happen? And so, what comes next? Enter, you know, stage right, whatever, um, this nameless Samaritan woman. She enters the story already pretty loaded with clues and details about the scene. It's noon, she's alone, she needs water, and think about it from her perspective. And I really appreciate, Candace, that you did not use a sing-songy uh, Disney princess voice when using the Samaritan's woman's part, because she definitely is not a Disney princess. But she does need water, and she plans on going to the well when no one is there at high noon, and she expects to be alone, get her water, head back home. That's what her expectations are. Not to see another person, especially not a Jewish man alone. And so she probably, I imagine, like, entered, like, oh, don't look at me, there's a man right there, like, what is happening? Um, But we know that this woman is, as we know the whole story, that this woman is fairly tainted by life circumstances. She's a social outcast, just trying to keep her head above water, and now is placed in a super awkward situation. I mean, I feel awkward if I I'm in a park, and there's a lone man, and I'm, you know what I mean? Like, so imagine for this woman where she's at, of like the, oh, what does this man want? Why is he here at noon? And to be breaking all sorts of social and religious rules and guidelines in acknowledging her very existence and asking for water. What's the catch? So Jesus, of course, being Jesus and amazing, he keeps pressing and inviting her into this conversation 
and she keeps trying to stop the conversation. Well, are you greater than Jacob? You don't even have anything to draw water from this really deep well. You know, was this some sort of pickup line? You know, I don't know. Okay, living water. This sounds nice. I'll take this living water so that I'm never thirsty and I don't have to come back to this well ever again. That sounds lovely because this is where I feel the most rejection is when I come to this well by myself. So fine, I'll take it. I'll take that living water. Oh, oh, you want me to bring my husband back with me? Okay, this just got really awkward. And so she keeps trying to change directions, trying to get him to stop talking to her so she can get her water and get out of there. And so she tells, he tells her about her, her husband's. She's like, okay, fine. Clearly I see you're a prophet, okay? And then let's talk about religious banter of where are we allowed to worship? This is what the Samaritans believe. This is what the Jews believe. What are we supposed to do? Let us just end the conversation and agree to disagree. And then it's like, oh, well, you know what? Actually, the Messiah, he'll come. He'll clear everything up for us. We just have to wait for that. Again, end of the conversation, shut the door. Now leave me alone. <laughs> and John, John's audience is reading and hearing this story, and probably all sorts of red flags are going up. She can't talk to a man like that. He shouldn't be there. This is like a front page paparazzi's dream come true, right? Of like growing religious leader talking to a Samaritan woman at the well. In fact, if we carry on into verse 27, which I had Candace stop so that we weren't here all night, but the disciples enter the scene and it says they didn't even say anything. But I would assume their faces told the whole story because that's what John says. He said they didn't even ask, why are you talking to her? Or what do you want? But I'm, I'm sure their faces were like, uh, are you going to ask Jesus? I feel like what, what's happening here? I don't know. Another wonderful clue left by John. And so why in the world is this story recorded, especially riddled with so many red flags and so many like mixed expectations? This woman was thirsty. I mean, she came looking for actual water. <laughs> But also, she was thirsty for more in life. As a woman, she was often overlooked in society and seen merely as property passed around to who knows the story of these different men. She's an outcast from the community of women who would come and gather at the well and, you know, talk and chat. She's alone, rejected, thirsty to be seen, to be included, to be valued, and maybe even empowered for something more than her current life circumstances. Jesus not only offers her living water, which is amazing, but also recognizes her thirst. He sees her. He talks to her. He engages with her. He doesn't ignore her or turn the other way like she was trying to, to do and ignore him but he engages in this conversation and he values her voice, you know? Like, he never wants to be like, woman, let me tell you. You know, he, he uh, has this wonderful dialogue back and forth with her. He's empowering her. But he also is honest about her story as well, right? He doesn't ignore the fact that she's had multiple husbands. And throughout their discussion, I can feel her guard still up, right? Of like protective force field. And 
what does he want? Is he a stalker? Like, they didn't have Google back then to, like, look up, like, her past history, but he knew it somehow. How does he know all of this? And then when Jesus shares that he is the Messiah who she's speaking of, the story pivots. And there's an epiphany, there's a light, there is something, and those walls come crashing down, and Jesus the Messiah is talking to her. She has this realization, and of course, as we know, anytime that Jesus, well, this is what we've learned in kids' church, is anytime, like, um, Jesus heals someone, sometimes it's like, okay, just don't, don't talk to anyone, just go home, just go home. And the kids were like, do you think that that person who was paralyzed and can now walk, or that person who was blind and can now see, do you think that they were silent? No. So here's this woman. She has been empowered by Jesus. She leaves her jug of water, not as a, I got to get out of this scary scene, but she leaves it because she's got the greatest news to tell everybody. And she takes off back to town. And it doesn't matter that she's an outcast. It doesn't matter that she could get busted for talking to a man alone at the well. Her heart, the once dehydrated little prune, is being hydrated by the living water, and it is growing, and she cannot keep silent. This woman has been empowered by Jesus to bear witness, and something that's something that women were not allowed to do. They couldn't testify. What they said about a scene, it didn't matter, and still she goes. And then what's interesting is, as you continue to read on in John, is that the townsfolk who could have ignored her, who have already shunned her away, they listen. Something has happened to her that they're like, yeah, you're not the same lady anymore. We need to go figure out what happened to you because I like, you know, like I like what's happening. I see this change in you. And so they come with her and they come back and they meet Jesus. And I love that scripture says that many of the Samaritans believed in Jesus because of her testimony. You know, like imagine if she stayed silent. She gained a voice, she gained importance, empowerment, witness, and she was not only seen but Jesus, but now this whole group of people who had once avoided her, they now want to hear more, right? Like, tell us more about Jesus. And I wish we could follow this woman to see the trajectory of where her life post-well event. <laughs> like, what was her life like? How was she included? You know, like, did she get to be a part of continuing to share the good news in her community and making more and more disciples with and for Jesus. In kids' church, after we read scripture, I usually ask the kids, what stood out to you and why do you think this is important? And we're not gonna have a discussion right now, but you can continue to do that, and kids know how to lead this discussion, so. And they're actually learning the same thing downstairs. And so, here's just a few things to chew on. First, This just confirms God's desire for relationships, to see the unseen. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus doesn't wave a hand and heal anyone who has an ailment, right? He doesn't march into town and be like, boom, be healed. That's not his style. He sits and he has conversations one-on-one. He has intentional interactions with individuals, and often usually much shorter version than what we just read, but the idea is still the same. Relationships, connecting with people is the end goal. Healing them is just a means for him to connect with people. 
to break down barriers. This is God's intent, as we know, in the beginning with Adam and Eve, right? And it continued to be his intent all throughout scriptures, building relationships, don't forget about me. And as we know, that is still his intent today with you and me. Relationships, conversation, connection. Second, Jesus could have revealed that he was the Messiah to anyone, right? So why this person? Why this woman? And if you think about it, like, on the spectrum, like, I almost wanted to do, like, a compare and contrast of, like, Jesus and the Samaritan woman of, like, man, woman, Jew, Samaritan. Slightly awkward history, clearly an outcast sinner. Jesus, sinless, you know? And so it's, like, literally, you couldn't get, I was trying to think of what else could we add to make them any more opposite, and yet he chose her to reveal this. And, um... And it reminds me and it gives me hope that I am somewhere on that spectrum. We are all on that spectrum, right, to engage with Jesus. So if he can chat with her and reveal that he's the Messiah to her, he can do that for me too. And thirdly, and probably the most important, is Jesus' invitation to the living water. And I asked you all if you've been thirsty, and you know what it means to be physically thirsty, But to think about not only just craving water, um, because it's been hot and smoky, but what is it that we really thirst for? This woman thirsts to be seen, to be loved, to be accepted by a community, to have something more than what she had. She wanted hope. And Jesus offered her an opportunity in all of those. So I ask, what do you thirst for? What do I thirst for? And sometimes we don't even know that we're thirsty, you know, and we can truck through our day without drinking enough water, and we have a headache, and we're funky, and we're just blah, right? And the same metaphor can be applied to our spiritual lives. Jesus gives us that invitation, come, drink, come, be fulfilled. And I know I wrestle with, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm good, I'll do it later, I'll do it later, until it catches up with me and I realize I'm dehydrated and I'm thirsty for the living water. And the step beyond that of recognizing what our deep thirsts are of our heart is to ask the question of what are we drinking? Am I drinking the living water? Are you drinking of the living water? And I keep thinking of, um, my kids reminded me of this the other day, when we were in Mexico, and it was hot, and we're like out and about trying to figure out how to get cool, and I spoiled them in buying Coca-Cola. You know, like, just, and it was, it was so refreshing. It was sugary and bubbly, and it just hit the spots. And at the moment, it was delicious, right, Finley? Yeah. But then I later paid the price of caffeinated kids, kids crashing from a sugar high, and now needing to drink even more water to make up for not drinking, for drinking Coca-Cola instead. And I'm not saying Coke is bad. I do prefer Pepsi, while cherry is the best. But to be aware of how are we quenching that deep thirst of our heart, a thirst that we all know can only be satisfied by drinking of the living water himself. And you never know how our story our testimony, what is God writing in us and through us as a part of his big story, we never know how that will affect, inspire, or draw someone else to Jesus. 
And we have evidence, right, in this story that it can and does happen in the most unlikely places. So be encouraged, take heart. It's never too late to come and drink from the fountain of living water. And Jesus teaches that through this encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that your scripture is living and active and that it does meet us and teach us in new ways. And as we have experienced physical thirst this week and throughout the summer, Lord, to be a reminder to come to your well, to come and drink of the living water that you've offered us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us recognize where are we thirsty? What are we thirsty for in our life, our journey with you, our relationships? And Lord, we can offer those to you and you will, you will quench those deep thirsts of our heart. Continue to guide us and grow in relationship with us, Lord. Thank you. In your son Jesus' name, amen.